0: As we're going to pick up in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 1, we stand or honor the reading of the word of God because we do believe it is his word. Paul writes beginning in verse 1, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Verse four says, for while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. Look at verse six. He says, we are also of good courage, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Verse 9 says, So when we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil. The Apostle Paul would sum it up this way, I believe, that everything you do in life matters. What you do in your life matters. And you may be seated. You know, it's, it's been said when it's time to start making a change that it's often the start that stops us. You know, think about it that way. When you're out to make a change in your life, it is the start that stops us. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start stop drinking Dr. Peppers every day. I'm going to start reading my Bible. It's the start that often stops us. We've been in this series called Healthy Habits where we're encouraging you to to push through the stop, to say, you know, in my life spiritually, I I need to have habits that are good habits that are going to help me get closer to God. And so we've, we've talked through this series about prayer. Uh, we've talked about sharing your faith in and, and Bible reading. If you've missed any of those messages, you want to go back to them, you can uh, go to our YouTube page, uh, you can go to our website, heightschurch.org, find them there, find them on your app, on your phone, where you listen to podcasts. And to think, all right, as we think about prayer, we think about sharing our faith and and Bible reading, these are all good, healthy habits that that we may need to start in our lives. And just take that next step that God wants us to take this morning. I want to talk about stewardship and how God calls us to be good stewards. Now, when I said stewardship, some of you looked at me this way and you thought, oh no. Here comes the sermon on money, here comes the sermon on giving. Man, I showed up on the wrong day, right? Guess what? This is not a sermon on money, all right? When we talk about stewardship, this is not a sermon on giving. Now, I will forewarn you, I'm going to talk about it later in the message, but it's not a sermon on money. Instead, we need to think of stewardship this way. Stewardship is taking everything that God has given us to build his kingdom for his glory. That's stewardship. Stewardship. Stewardship is saying, God, you have given me all these things in my life, so let me take everything I have, let me take me who I am, to build your kingdom for your glory. That is stewardship. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as he's writing this letter to Christians in Corinth, starts out with this analogy that would be really easy for them to get, and it'll take a little explaining for us, but he says that in life, our bodies right now, we're a a tent. He says our eternal souls are in the tent. That tent is your temporary body. And your body is going to break down. You are going to die one day, but your eternal soul will be somewhere for all of eternity. That our eternal soul right now is housed in a temporary tent. But then he also says in verse 1 that there is a house made not by hands, a house in the heavens. And what he's pointing us to then is there are resurrected bodies. That as believers in Jesus Christ, that when Christ comes again, there is a day where you get a new body. And now your eternal soul is in this new body that never sins, that never breaks down, that, praise God, is always perfect. And he says, but we groan for that day. That there's a groaning which he, within each one of us right now for that house, because we're in a tent. See, the city of Corinth, they would have really gotten this because this was a, a port city. This was a city where a lot of sailors would come in. So tent makers like Paul would make tents. And, and he's making these tents uh, for these sailors that may be there a week, maybe they were two weeks, a couple of months, if their ship's being repaired, if they're resupplying. But also, Corinth was the head of the Isthmus Games, which were Olympic Games. And so, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people would flood into Corinth during these Olympic Games. And they had somewhere to stay, so they built tents. Those tents were their temporary housing. You and I today, every time we lose a loved one, every time our bodies get sick, every time that sciatic nerve kicks up on you, Every time you think, man, I got to go back to the chiropractor and get adjusted again. Every time they will you into the operating room, what happens? We groan knowing there's something more than just this life. Our bodies groan for something greater than what we have. And Paul says that's possible. This morning to know where your eternal soul will be. That groaning is a reminder of what Christ has done. Look in verse 5 where he says he has prepared us for this very thing. He's prepared us for this house not made with hands in the eternal heavens. He says he's prepared us for this very thing. This person is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. He's given us the Holy Spirit. As a guarantee. So, this morning, you can know if heaven is your eternal home, to have a guarantee of eternal life with God that will never end. And listen to the way Jesus says here's how you can have that guarantee. He says in John chapter 5, in verse 24, these words Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into the judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's what Jesus said. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me. All right, so I've got to hear the word of God. I've got to believe in the word of God. I believe that Christ is who he said he is and what he did and he did. That if I hear and I believe that I have eternal life. In verse 5, the Holy Spirit is my guarantee of that. That even though my eternal souls in this tent that is temporary, that is going to be folded up one day, just like they would fold up that tent and leave town, I can have eternal home in heaven. So if that's your guarantee, if that's your belief, if that's who you are and you say, yes, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have that guarantee, then does how you live right now matter? Does it matter? I mean, if you, if you have that promise of Christ... I mean, aren't you, aren't you free just to do whatever you want to do? I mean, the British government gave John, James Bond a, a license to kill. Does Jesus give you a license to sin? Just go on and just live your life the way you want to live. There's no consequences. Is that, is that what he's saying? I mean, are there consequences for the Christian? Are there consequences for the way you and I steward everything that God gives us? Because remember, stewardship is about taking everything that God has given us for the purpose of building His kingdom for His glory. So does it matter how we live, or are we just free to do whatever we want to do? I want you to notice what Paul says. And let's dive back into the text to answer that question. Verse 8, he says, We are of good courage... We would be rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. I want you to notice verse 9, verse 10, really center in here. So whether we're at home or we're away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil Paul says in verse 9 the aim for the Christian is to please God that word aim there if you have an NIV you've got goal another translation says mission another translation says desire my aim my goal my mission is is to please the Lord. So it matters what we do as believers in Christ. You don't have a license to sin and just do whatever you want to do. You have to have an aim in order to steward your life well. It was summer 2004 Olympics um, you may have watched this event if you remember. I don't know if, if you're like me, but when the Olympics come on, I just, I watch the events. And it's every four years we get to watch all the weird events, right? Winter Olympics, bobsledding, curling. Curling's one of my favorite things to watch now. I love when the Winter Olympics come on and, and curling comes on. That's the one where they push the, um, the, the thing and the guy's sweep, right? That's curling. Okay, some of you are blinking out on me like, what in the world are you talking about? I don't know, hang on, I'm getting there, all right? But we watch all these crazy events. And so 2004, Summer Olympics, it's rifle shooting contest. It's the 50-meter rifle shooting. Matt Edmonds is representing our country. It's the final round. He is way ahead. All he has to do in his final shot is hit the target. Just hit it. He doesn't have to bullseye it. He doesn't have to get close to the bull'seye, just hit the target, and he wins gold medal. And what's, what is really truly amazing me about Olympic athletes are these men and women trained for four years for one event. Who among I mean, do you have that discipline? I don't have that discipline, right? I mean, they just give it all for maybe this one event they've trained their whole lives for. This is his goal. Gold medal. Final shot. Hit the target, Matt. You got gold. Lane three is where he's shooting from, picks up his weapon, takes aim, hits the target. Gold medal. Dream achieved. All he's worked for for four years. All those hours and hours and hours and hours of practice. Matt got his gold medal, he thought, but not so fast. He was standing in lane three. He accidentally shot the target in lane two. He was disqualified and finished eighth. No gold medal. He aimed wrong. He hit the wrong target what are you aiming for in your Christian life? Does your life matter? What is the aim? What is the goal? What are you living for? What did Paul say, verse 9, whether I'm here on earth or I'm here in heaven, the goal is to what? Please the Lord. So then I've got to take everything that God gives me and I got to use it to build his kingdom for his glory because that's the aim to live in such a way in which we please the Lord. Why? Because of verse 10. And let's go back to verse 10 because verse 10 ought to make us sit up a little straighter and pay a little more attention. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Your translation, again, may say whether good or bad. But when he says we, that means we, we all, you guys, y'all, we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, understand, in the Bible, there are two judgments. There's what you're going to find in Revelation called the Great White Throne Judgment. That is for people who are not believers. That is the day and time coming in the future where Jesus draws up and God draws up all of hell and he casts it in the lake of fire and those who are there. So those that do not believe in Christ, when they die with their sin unforgiven, they will be in eternity in the lake of fire forever. But the good alternative is that God has made a way for us to be with him forever, and that's heaven. But there is a judgment for Christians in heaven heaven that's what he's saying in verse 10 that we all because he's writing this letter to a church he's writing these letters to Christians so when he says we he's pointing it at you and me and he's saying we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ now I know that's going to bring up a lot of questions so let's answer them together first question you might be thinking is this what's this judgment all about because I thought as a believer in Jesus, I wasn't judged. My sin is forgiven. My sin is taken care of. Yes, that's true. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We talked about in John 5 24 a few minutes ago. That if you believe in Christ, there is no judgment. So, But we see verse 10, there is a judgment for believers. So who's doing the judging? Because that's important. Who's the one you go before? Well, verse 10 says you're at the judgment seat of Christ. This is Christ who will judge us. This is a good judge. This is a fair judge. This is an impartial judge. This is an all-knowing judge. So what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose of this judgment? Well, notice at the end of verse 10 again. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil, or good or bad. So the aim of this judgment is this. It's an aim of a judgment to evaluate how you stewarded the life God gave you and determine the levels of rewards for you in heaven. So you will appear before Christ. He will evaluate your Christian life and how you stewarded the life he gave you to determine the rewards for you in heaven. So in heaven, yes, there are various degrees of reward. But understand this. You are still in heaven, which is still way better than the alternative, right? There are no bad houses in heaven, and even though some houses may be bigger in heaven than others. There's no bad neighborhood to live in. Guess what? When you go to the baseball game, in heaven, you're not sitting behind the foul pole, all right? Even though you might be in the third deck and some are in the lower deck, you still see the game perfectly. Why? Because you're in heaven. What's the aim? The aim's not the reward. The aim is what? Verse 9, to please the Lord. So why does this judgment happen? It's a judgment of how you lived your life. The life God gave you. How you stewarded everything God gave you in order to build his kingdom for his glory. But we need to clarify something here because this is where this can, can... kind of confusing for some so help your neighbor out if they have been praying for me for a solid five minutes or so with their eyes closed um, just lean over say pastor lee really appreciates you praying for him but he's good right now so if you don't mind opening your eyes and just pay a little bit of attention just help your neighbor out on that okay because some of you've been praying for like a solid 10 minutes you're the prayer warrior in here but clue in because i don't want you to miss this this part's really important is this teaching we earn our salvation no the bible says that our salvation is by grace alone through faith alone in christ alone ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 it is by grace you have been saved but chapter 2 verse 10 we are his workmanship created in christ jesus for good works that the lord has laid out beforehand that we ought to walk in them So what this is showing you is not, hey, I'm going to live this good moral life so that I may earn something. This isn't putting a burden on you. This is saying, no, I'm free in Christ. I have Christ. I have forgiveness by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. So I'm going to live for him. Again, what's the aim? Verse 9, to please the Lord. So this is not about earning your salvation. Instead, Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you unless you fail to meet the test? What this is is a judgment of exposing whether you had who you said you had, whether you believed what you said you believed, That's the Christian life. The Christian life's a test to say, do I have who I say I have and do I believe what I say I believe? Because what you do matters. How you do what you do matters. Why you do what you do matters. It matters what you do as a believer. Why? Because it's coming under the judgment exposure of Christ one day. That's what he's telling you in verse 10. It's not about you earning your salvation. It's about you living it out how do you steward what God's given you? Because again, the aim's not the reward. Verse nine's the aim that we please him to take everything that God has given us to build his kingdom for his glory. That's stewardship. So let's encourage each other along because as we've said each week, it's these moments where we've got to make decisions on how we do this well. And it's the start that often stops us. So How do you start stewarding your life well? Let me give you a couple of practical ways. Number one, make the worship of God with others the priority of your week. Make the worship of God with others the priority of your week. Answer this question, is the worship of God with others the priority of my week or another event in my week? Is coming together with other people to worship the Lord the priority of my week, or is it just another event of my week? So therefore, to make the the worship of God the priority with others, you have to schedule your week and your activities around Sunday. And and let me say this to our online audience. I'm I'm glad that you're worshiping with us, and and you are important where you are connecting. And I, I know for some of you, Uh, There are reasons you're still not back, whether you're waiting your vaccine, you're waiting for more people to be vaccinated, you're waiting for herd immunity. Let me encourage you where you are to stay faithful. Let me encourage you where you are to keep connecting with us, saying hello in the comments, encouraging somewhere that way. Be faithful where you are during this time as well. And so think about that. How can I make the priority of my week revolve around the worship of God with others. Now, some of you are already thinking, and you're thinking, well, man, check, I'm here. All right, he's not talking to me. I'm here every week. All right, so let me help you along then. How can you help someone else make the priority of worshiping with God important? Think about it this way. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Let us consider how to stir up love, uh, one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day you uh, see the uh, day drawing near. So as the day of Christ drawing near, who can you encourage? Say, you know what, I had not seen you in a while. Maybe as a life group, think about, all right, as a life group, we, we had not seen this person. Maybe you see somebody in life group who's in life group, and then they leave after life group, and they're not worshiping publicly. Call them up. Give them a text. Shoot them an email. Hey, I miss you where have you been? Or, or I notice you, you're here with us in Bible study, but then you, you leave the corporate worship time. What's going on? Let me encourage you to be here. So maybe you think, all right, well, it's my priority. Well, help someone else make it their priority. Stir up love and good works in them. Encourage them. So think about it this way. Your public worship of God with others, that's your time. All right, how am I going to steward my time well to worship with others? Now here comes the part of the message I warned you about, okay? Alright, you ready? I warned you it was coming, so here it is. Now let's talk about giving. Because in giving, we want to steward the resources that God has given us well. Now in the Bible, you're going to see differences between tithes and offerings. And if you want to research this out a little differently, or a little more, that's perfectly fine, but, but I'm not going to get into all the differences of tithes and offerings. Let me just give you a pretty basic understanding of how I understand things. My tithe comes to my local church first as the priority in my giving. Now, you can support other Christian organizations, church planners, missionaries. Sandra and I do that as well. But our tithe, our first priority of giving, comes to the local church In which we are invested in. And here's what I love about partnerships. I just get so excited about this. As a Southern Baptist church, we are part of a cooperative program in which, when you give, part of your giving goes to the cooperative program, there's Southern Baptist, and then they break it out to various mission boards, to seminaries. I mean, you may not understand this morning, you're helping train missionaries. You're helping train church planners. You're helping train new pastors right now when you give, because through the cooperative program, part of that funding goes to our six seminaries, so they get a deep discount so they can afford seminary where they are. And so, man, that's awesome. You think about it, it goes to the mission field. So, when you give here first, it helps us locally as a church, but through our partnerships, it helps globally. So, what we do as a church is we give 10% of all our undesignated funds to the cooperative program. So, if you give a dollar this morning, a dime is automatically walking out the door, goes to the cooperative program, and then that's funneled out all around globally. So, you're helping in that partnership globally and locally by giving to the local church. But then also, as a church, We partner with other churches like Pastor Chris from The Way of Life. You saw him last week. We try to help new churches along through giving. And so through your giving, it was possible for them last year when everybody had to go online for us to go listen. We know you don't have a video camera. We know you're not set up for that. We know that that's a strain on new churches' budget and, of course, was an expense none of us stopped, You saw coming. We can help you with that. And so we help them buy their audio and video equipment so they've been online all this time and now finally able to come back in person and stay online. You help further out the gospel in your giving because of those partnerships we're able to establish. So that's your tithe. Your your tithe comes first to your local church, but then you have your offerings. And this is where you could say, you know, I want to support a another Christian organization. I want to support missionaries personally, and and that's fine. That's great. You know, we've got Annie Armstrong Easter offering coming up this month, and so again, you you see that prayer guide in this envelope, but let me encourage you to do this, because this is what happens sometimes. As folks say, well, you know, I, I want to give to this extra organization, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut my tithe to my local church To give on top to this other organization and that will keep me balanced at whatever my budget says so if i want 10 percent of my budget you know to to go to the lord i'm gonna i'm gonna cut my local church maybe down by a couple percents and i'm gonna give to that other missionary i'm gonna give to this other organization that'll keep me balanced But, but let me let me say this what what happens when you do that is it it really hurts us as a church you're hurting the church you're committed to first because then what we have to do is adjust what we're doing locally. And so what, let me encourage you on this. is to say, okay, Lord, my tithe is going to come here as a priority. But these other opportunities that are before me, I'm going to make that an offering which is above my tithe. All right, so that's a short-term offering. Maybe it's, hey, it's, it's cutting out Starbucks for a, a month. Or, okay, I'm sorry, a month was probably way too much for you on that. I, I got a couple of looks like, oh, my Lord, a month. All right, cut Starbucks out for like two weeks. Some of you are still looking at me funny. Two days, I don't know, right? Cut, cut out going out to eat once or twice. I mean, you think about that. You cut out c- going out to eat once or twice, I mean, that's probably 50, 60 bucks wherever you're going. And say, all right, so I'm gonna make that sacrifice to give my offering as I'm giving my tithe to my local church. And so let me encourage you in that. So you're thinking about stewarding. How am I gonna take everything that God's given me to build his kingdom? Our time is our public worship. Our offerings, our tithes, that's the the, the resources that God's given us. But let's think about this, our service, our talents. How can we serve? Commit to serve in your local church. You know, in a local church like ours, there are plenty of things to do. Uh, there are plenty of ways you can help so take your talents and serve some of what you're going to see in a local church are what we're going to call upfront positions they're public positions they're things like you saw earlier with the praise team people who can play instruments and sing and god bless them for that talent because that's not me i am always amazed when like matt is singing and playing and pulling out a harmonica And I'm like, I can't even do one of those three things. I mean, let alone all three. And so for those of you that have the musical ability and talents, awesome, great. Those are public type things. You're teaching a life group class. That's out in public. People see you. But then in a local church, there's also behind the scene things. And let me say this. There is no job in a local church that is too small. No job. Everything people do in a local church is important. Do you know somebody came in this week and gave up their time to put all those pins out for you? Put all those envelopes out for you? And we have two sweet ladies that do this all the time. And, and I, I just really appreciate it. I'm not going to call out who they are. You may know who they are. You may not know who they are. But what was, what was a God moment this week is I was in this portion on Thursday of writing this part out in the sermon. And I literally was thinking about these two ladies and how they come in week after week after week and put all these envelopes, put all these pins out. And I was thinking, God, thank you for them. And one of them walked in the door. I and mean, she logged in the door. Right as I typed those things out in my computer, I hopped up out of my office and I, I ran into the lobby. I was like, hey, thank you. I just thought about you. She was thinking, Huh? I was like, I'm going to talk about you the sermon. She's like, "What?" I'm not going to say your name. I was like, "But thank you so much because that what you do is so important. So any job in a local church is important. Any job that helps us fulfill the mission of loving and leading all people to a new life with Christ is important. So ask yourself, how can I give 1 to 2 hours a week to my local church? How can I give 1 to 2 hours a week in serving my local church? You know one of the things we need right now? is people to go out and map out a few neighborhoods for us that we're going to go do some Easter door hangers coming up. Some of you have the gift of administration. You can pull that off easily, drive up and down the streets, count houses, map that out for us. If that interests you, please come let me know because we have that need right now. So think about that. How can I use my time? That's my worship of the Lord. How can I use my treasures? That's your giving. How can I use my talents? To serve the Lord. And you think about in your local church. What about you in your community? You know, as a church, we want to be a church just not in a community, but for a community. How can you make the community better? Serve one to two hours in your community. Maybe it's through the gathering place. Maybe it's through Meals on Wheels. Maybe you say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm the, my kid's on the t-ball team. Guess what? Be the team, t-ball team's parent. You're going to organize snacks. Guess what you just got as the team parent? Everybody's email and phone numbers guess what you can do with them? Invite them to church, right? Think about all those opportunities just out in public where you could say, you know, I got one to two hours a week that I could serve in the community. This morning, you as a Christian, you'll give an account before Christ of what you did with the life he gave you. You know, as a a pastor, one of the parts of my job is to do funerals. And I do quite a few funerals. And, and one of the things I, I do when I'm out at a gravesite, I just take time and I walk around I look at different headstones. And I like to look at dates. and I'm a history nerd, so you know I kind of look at the headstones, try to find the oldest ones out there and think about what was going on in that time period. And what's interesting to me about a headstone is you always see pretty much the same things. There's always a name. There's always a birthday. There's always a day that that person died. And what you find in between the date of birth and the date of death is a dash. And I always look at that dash and I wonder what was this person like? What'd they do? What would somebody say about them? What'd they do with their dash? If I did your funeral later this week, what would I say about you? What would somebody else say about you? What would they say about what you were like? What you gave your attention to, what you gave your time to, what would they say about your dash? Because your life as a believer in Christ, it matters.